Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow. I'm talking to myself. Isn't this is enough? One local, national. I can still hear myself talking to myself. You'll never hear anywhere else. Life is wonderful. All right, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Now, do you know what Anarchy is all about? Anarchy Society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democratic principles. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. So if you want to be a corporate CEO or you want to chop off heads in you know, some Islamic state drive or you want to become part of the Saudi Arabian government, well... This isn't the program for you, okay? This is the anarchist world this week. We're sane, we're polite, we're nice sometimes. Okay, what are we going to talk about today? There's a lot of things to talk about today, uh, mainly what's happening in our part of the world because, you know, there's not much I can do about what's happening in other parts of the world, but we do our best. But uh, it's important to understand where you come from before you start off on that journey, Okay. All right, now the first thing I'd like to talk about is the election campaign. Now, young Malcolm, yes, young Malcolm, not old Malcolm, sent me a letter. Well, I think he sent 15 million voters a letter or 14 million voters a letter, everybody in the electoral roll, a letter. And I'm trying to find the letter, but unfortunately I think I threw it away. I felt sick when I looked at it, but it was all about jobs and growth. Well, this is not about jobs and growth. This is an election about corporate welfare. This is an election about feathering the beds of the corporate bludgers. That's what this election is about on the 2nd of July. Now, I wandered down to the Frankston Electoral Commission office in... um, Dunkley Electoral Commission office in, uh, in Frankston on Tuesday, and I said, oh, excuse me, can I have a nomination form? And the young person at the front was a little bit baffled and went in and got somebody who knew what was happening and they came out and they said, oh, sorry, can't give you a nomination form. And I said, why? And they said, well, the writs won't be issued till 6pm Monday the 16th of May. Isn't that amazing? The writs won't even be issued to the 16th of May, so it is going to be a long election campaign. So all those people who are involved in the Toscano for Dunkley campaign, don't forget, 11am... Tuesday, the 17th of May, 20, Davey, D-A-V-E-Y, Street in Frankston, 
the uh, Electoral Commission office downstairs. Meet me down there and you can already start. We can start nominating, gathering those 125 signatures and details we need for yours truly to be standing as a real independent candidate providing an alternative to the lacklustre campaign we currently have. So that's 11 a.m. Tuesday, 17th of May, 20 Davies Street, Frankston, at the Dunkley Electoral Office. Very simple. Uh, I'd like to thank all those people who turned up this Tuesday, but unfortunately couldn't get our papers because the writs hadn't been issued. That's quite extraordinary. Usually they're issued within 48 hours of the election being called. But that's, that's another matter. Now, so what was I talking about? Corporate welfare. Now, this election is about corporate welfare. That's what this election is about. It's about not jobs and growth. It's about public money being given to the corporate sector to create jobs. This is not about the private sector using its own resources to create jobs and growth. Even if you, you know, even if you follow the mantra of jobs and growth, which I think is a little bit 19th century, you know, we are in the 21st century, and it's about having a sustainable economy where everybody actually is actually able to participate one in the decision-making process, but actually enjoy enjoy the bounty of the Commonwealth of Australia. It's no accident it's called the Commonwealth of Australia, is it? Commonwealth for some. So even if you do believe those old mantras of job and growth, the way it's been packaged and sold by the Turnbull-led Liberal National Party is pathetic. No passion, no desire, nothing. It's about giving public money to the private sector to employ people, whether it's $10,000 to employ somebody who's over 50. Or I like the new one. You do like the new one? Remember the good old days when you could own slaves legally? Not in this country, but um, a lot of other places, because when Australia was actually settled, slavery had been abolished by the British Empire in in their empire anyway, after a long, long campaign. Remember the good old days when you could, uh, you know, buy slaves, you'd went down to the slave market, you looked around, checked their teeth, looked at their rump, see if they had any meat on their bodies. That's like buying cattle, you know, buying slaves. And you'd have an auction and you'd put up your hand and you'd take your slave home and you'd hope they'd breed and make other little slaves so you could sell them off like we sell cattle and sheep off these days. So that were the good old days. But in those days, you had to put your hand in your pocket to get a slave. You had to actually buy them. Well, this new program of actually giving the unemployed skills, you like that? Giving the unemployed skills, I like that. Giving the unemployed skills. It's based on the concept of actually privatising the Work for the Dole scheme. I mean, the Work for the Dole scheme, irrespective of what you think about it, you know, it's a publicly owned, publicly administered scheme. So what Mr Turnbull and those brilliant, brilliant... Remember, this is the jewel in their election crown. This is the jewel in the crown. This is when Mr Turnbull starts to saliva and tear up, you know, when you hear him talking about, you know, these the, the slaves you can actually get money for. Well, see, it works a bit like this, right? Some private corporation or a small business or something needs a slave, OK? 
So you ring up the uh, some you know slave central and you say, look, I need four slaves for six months, and the government will say to you, well, we will pay their wages, but we will also give you a bonus for taking the slaves. And at six months, we can do it all again. You can have more slaves and more bonuses. I mean, I know I'm making fun of this, but this is this this is this is the jewel in the election crown of the Turnbull government to actually have publicly funded workers in private enterprise and giving private enterprise a bonus for taking workers who are 100% publicly funded. I can see the rorts coming on. I can see the rorts coming on. It'll be a little bit like the TAFE rorts, won't it? Every time, this is what I love about living in the land of Oz, the land of opportunity, the land of milk and honey. Every time we, you know, we put it in the hands of the private sector, we p- privatise something else, the rorts come flowing out. For example, when the Commonwealth Employment Service was privatised, Look at the rorts we have today when you can provide Mickey Mouse training to people and get a nice government wage. Look at the rorts that have occurred with the privatisation of welfare, where you know where religious-based or non-religious-based organisations put out their hands to get government money to provide welfare for the deserving poor, not the undeserving poor, the deserving poor, and get a buck to do it and keep their organisations afloat. Nice to see. Look at the rorts that occurred when we got rid of the TAFE sector or most of the TAFE sector and privatised it. It was so wonderful seeing billions of dollars going to the pockets of private corporations. And they talk about public service being inefficient, inefficient, top-heavy. Come on. Come on. This is the jewel in the crown. So you make up your own mind. So... We're going to talk about a few things today, and these are things that we're doing. Because a lot of people ask me, what's the role of a radical broadcaster? What's your role? Do you provide information? Do you provide alternative viewpoints? And I say the role of a radical broadcaster is more than providing information. It's more than analysing what's happening around us, as we've just done. It's about fanning the embers of dissent. It's about fanning those embers and creating a spot fire, a wildfire. That's what it's about. Because I've already started campaigning the electorate of Dunkley, which is you know, on the outskirts of Melbourne, southern outskirts of Melbourne, not the northern outskirts, southern outskirts. And it's quite fascinating. It's one thing, you know, talking to people who've got political ideas, who live and breathe politics, whether they're professional politicians or whether they're activists. And it's another thing talking to people where politics is something which is actually divorced from their everyday experience. Politics is the act of maybe casting a ballot every three to four years. I mean, that's what politics seems to be the act of, casting a ballot every three to four years. 
And although a lot of people make grandiose statements about this and that, how you know people are thinking about this and that, the interesting thing about campaigning this early in an election campaign is how little engagement there is initially. But when you start talking to people, the underlying thing is hopelessness and the inability to envisage the possibility of change among the young and the old. It's as if people are going through the motions of the political process, believing at the end of this process that what they will get is very... is, you know, is um, very little change. That's what they believe. They'll get very little change. Very little change. And there seems to be this, you know, grudging viewpoint that it's all pointless. Not just voting, but being involved in the political process, but somehow it's been usurped by forces bigger than them and that trying to fight back against what is happening is basically useless and hopeless. And I thought to myself, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? This is the initial discussion. Obviously, when you get people into a a deeper discussion, you see those embers, those embers of resistance there. But I thought, isn't this wonderful? We have the perfect population in this country. We have a dispirited people who believe that change is impossible. We are part of a society where hope has evaporated. I mean, hope, as I keep saying, is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change, that things will get better, and the expectation that things will be put in place to guarantee that things get better. And if you lose hope, you lose everything. And that's it. Hopelessness is the aphrodisiac of those who exercise power in this country. While people think that it is a waste of time to actually desire change, let alone expect change, that it is a waste of time to be involved in the political process, whether it's parliamentary politics or extra-parliamentary politics. We get a dispirited people who basically their political decisions revolve around their own personal situation. And that's what makes a perfect citizen. Somebody who may question what is happening but feels the situation is so hopeless they are not going to get involved in activity, whether it's real activity or virtual activity, which 
challenges the status quo. And that's the role of a broadcaster. The role of a broadcaster, a radical reformist broadcaster, the role of a broadcaster is to actually engender hope, it to, to ignite that spark of hope, the desire for change and the expectation that change will be carried through. That's what it's about. That's what all political activity is about. It's not about saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, follow me, follow me, follow me, I've got all the solutions. Well, my feet are made of clay, you know? Because somebody is born royalty doesn't make him any different to anybody else. Jack is as good as, as his master and Jill is as good as her mistress, if not better. That is the essence. That is the very essence of every political, social and community struggle that has occurred over generations, not just in this country but around the world. That the individual matters and one individual is as good as the next. And that's what the role of a broadcaster is. The role of a radical broadcaster is to actually engender that hope and encourage people to take action, whether you agree or disagree with the strategy they are, current, they are pursuing. The fact that they're saying there is hope, there is that desire for change, that expectation for change, is a positive response to what's happening, a positive response. So I don't want to meet dispirited people. People have been so browbeaten. It's like meeting a dog who's been beaten once too often, who cowers when they see a human being. And we have human beings like that in our society, and they are the majority. Say, well, what's the point? It's all hopeless. You can't fight City Hall. You can't change anything. And you say, well... We'd still have slavery if we had that attitude, wouldn't we? Think of those people who were involved in the anti-slavery trade centuries ago. I'm not saying there's no slavery now, but at least it's not legalised, except in certain few outposts, like the Islamic State. So you've got to think about it. While there's hope that desire and expectation that change will occur, change will occur. And the role of a political activist, not just a broadcaster and a community activist and a social activist, is to actually ignite that lamp, ignite that pilot, you know, that pilot lamp that we've all got, that pilot light that we've all got in our bodies and souls. And that's what this election is about. It's about bringing passion and hope back to the political process. It's not about listening to a presidential-style election where both of the major leaders, and occasionally the third leader, the leader of the Greens, gets an opportunity, goes out and does their little spiel in the morning, you know, does their little spiel in the morning, and, you know, it's the topic for the day. Then goes home and has a whiskey. That's it. 
Now, obviously, there are a lot of ways of being active. It's not just a matter of casting a ballot every three to four years. I mean, ultimate political power in a democratic society it doesn't rest in the parliament. It doesn't rest in the boardrooms of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders. It doesn't rest in the hands of the public, public bureaucrats. It doesn't rest in the hands of the media. Ultimate political authority in a democratic society rests in the hands of the people. And that's what revolt and revolution has been about. It's about bringing things back into the hands of the people when all other methods for change have failed. When hope has been extinguished for so long, there is no hope that change can occur by working up the right channels, whether it's by participating in parliamentary elections or by begging and beseeching for things to change. Now, in Melbourne, there's a little group called the Wednesday Action Group, which I'd like you to emulate all over a country, because this program is broadcast across Australia, you know, from Launceston or Hobart to, to Darwin, from Broome to Byron Bay, all across the country this program is broad, broadcast. And in Melbourne we've got a little group called the Wednesday Action Group. It was established in 1999, and every Wednesday, every Wednesday, they reclaim a little bit of public space and use it for political discussion. Use it to interact with passerbyers. Use it to get people to get involved in discussions regarding various issues, whether it's a Royal Commission to Corruption in Australia, whether it's you know establishment of a, a new People's Bank, whether it's the introduction of one percent turnover tax to increase revenue, you know, for public services. And the Wednesday Action Group meets every Wednesday. They meet from 11.30 to 12.30 every Wednesday and I understand that this week they'll be meeting at 120 Collins Street in Melbourne. That's the Paris end of Collins Street. That's where ASIC has its office and Rio Tinto have their office. So obviously they're going up there to have a little chat to the corporate sector. So they're at 120 Collins Street on uh, this Wednesday. But what I'm saying is I'm using them as an example. You don't need oodles of money. You just need a little bit of passion, a little bit of hope to organise something like that. Instead of organising a book club, or walking down to the beach by yourself, or having a coffee for a few friends, you can organise a Monday action group, or a Tuesday action group, or a Wednesday action group, or a Thursday action group. Pick a time, pick a place, and hey, presto, you've got the beginning of a political movement. It's simple. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take much effort to organise things. What it takes is a desire for change. What it takes is to activate that pilot light we all have, the, the hope, the hope pilot light, desire and expectation. It's up to you. Now, I just want to make take make a few words about spies. You like that? Spies. And do you know there are spies in this country? Well, obviously we all know that. 
But do you know that there are spies in this country that are actually being uh, paid for by uh, foreign governments and the Australian government turns a blind eye to their activities in this country? Did you know that? Hmm, I didn't think you knew that. Well, those of you who are part of the West Papuan Office Rent Collective or those of you who've gone to the West Papuan events that have been organised, and there's one organised this Friday night at, starting at 6pm at a Ballarat, Ballarat Trades Hall. That's at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat in regional Victoria, a fundraiser for the West Papuan Independence Movement. We'll know that the West Papuan activists, and there's not many, there's only about 120 West Papuan refugees in the whole of Australia. Could you imagine that? 120, 500,000 people have been killed from a population of less than 2 million people in the last 60 years in West Papua by various elements of the Indonesian military because they've got the unfortunate problem of having lots of gold and minerals and natural resources in their country. And we've got 120 refugees, but that's another question. We know what we think of refugees in this country. Well, you know, through the good offices of the West Papua and Rent Collective, they've actually been able to have an office for two years now, over two years, at 838 Collins Street, the West Papua Independence Office Level 2, which you're all welcome to join. I mean, you can join the West Papua and Rent Collective. It's very simple. A dollar a day. You want to join? Give us a call, 0439 395 489. But since the West Papua and Independence Movement's had an office in Melbourne, it's been able to use that office to coordinate activity around the world to promote the independence struggle in West Papua, right? Using every legal, legitimate means possible. And obviously, as a result of the establishment of that office, the harassment and surveillance of West Papuan activists who are basically involved in peaceful legal action by Indonesian secret police in this country has increased to the point where various individuals and their family have been threatened, their welfare has been threatened if they continue to be involved in independence movement activities. So what does the Australian Federal Police do? What does ASIO do? What does the Australian government do? Nothing. And obviously they can't do anything because obviously there's an agreement. Australian Federal Police are over in Indonesia dealing with, in inverted commas, people smugglers and a possible terrorist threat. Reciprocally, Indonesian police officers and secret service agents are actually able to intimidate and harass West Papuan refugees in this country, many of them who are residents now of this country, if not full citizens. Extraordinary situation. You don't see that in the media, do you? Now, if you want to, if you want to support the West Papuan Independence Movement, one very good way, as I said before, is joining the West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective because while they have an office in Collins Street, 838 at Docklands in Collins Street, and they can use that office to promote, peacefully promote the idea of West Papua independence. And remember that everybody in that office is a volunteer, you know, and that office is run fully by West Papua activists. The Rent Collective only provides the rent. That's our primary role. So if you want to assist the West Papua independence movement, if you want to ensure that this type of harassment that many of their leading activists are now have to put up with uh, at least is moderated, if not ceased, well, join the Rent Collective. It's one way that you can actually strike back. 
again, ring me on 0439 395 489 and leave a message, 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, or you can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. While I'm talking about... uh, forthcoming events to other forthcoming events I'd like to invite people to every year every year we organise uh, Mabo Day celebrations in Melbourne now Mabo Day is a public holiday in the Torres Strait uh, and the further south you get the less importance it becomes but we don't want Mabo Day to disappear from the calendar of activists in this country because Mabo Day, the 3rd of June, is an exceptionally important day in terms of native title. It marks the, uh, this year, the 3rd of June marks the 24th anniversary of the historic High Court judgment delivered on the 3rd of June 1992 that recognised Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. And once again, this year in Melbourne, we'll be organising a Mabo Day gathering at Federation Square, at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street at midday sharp. That's Friday, the 3rd of June, midday sharp, Marbo Day uh, Gathering, Federation Square, corner of Flinders and Swanson Street, and Torres Strait Islander activist and elder Ellen Jose will be the guest speaker on the day. So put that in your calendar. Now, also, the next day, the next day... you, you you can't believe how active the Anarchist Experience Institute is in terms of organising things. The next day in Ballarat, on Saturday the 4th of June at 2pm, at Ballarat Trades Hall at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat, there will be a public meeting titled, or a public forum. It's time the Eureka flag was flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. Because you may find this extraordinary, but the Eureka flag has never never in the 157-year history of the Eureka Rebellion actually been flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. Now, Ballarat is a regional city which is known to the rest of the country because it's its association with the Eureka Rebellion. It is the city where that rebellion occurred in 1854. 1854. And never... In that proud history, never has the Eureka flag been flown from the main flagpole, not even on Eureka Day, not even on the 150th anniversary celebration in uh, 2004, which actually makes it 161-year history. 161-year history. I can't do my maths. So there is a public forum at Ballarat Trades Hall, 24 Camp Street in Ballarat. The guest speakers, and obviously there'll be lots of open discussion, are Dr Dorothy Wickham from the Ballarat, Ballarat Heritage Services, well-known Ballarat historian, expert on Eureka. I uh, wrote the Eureka Encyclopedia in 2004 with two, two other uh, of her uh, colleagues. Mr Brett Edginton, the Secretary of Unions, Ballarat and Western Region, and unfortunately yours truly is the convener for the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. Now, for 13 years we've been working up the right channels. We've been asking the... Ballarat City Council to fly the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on Eureka Day. We have worked 
up the right channels for 13 years. We even got to the stage at one stage where the Eureka flag was being flown, uh, was being raised on Eureka Day on the flagpole outside the Ballarat City Hall, which was, you know, was a kind of accommodation. But for a more conservative council, I mean, the Eureka flag, it's not about a piece of cloth, obviously. It's about what it symbolises. And although a lot of people like to drape themselves in the Eureka flag, many people who use the Eureka flag to promote their racist and nationalist ideologies have no understanding of the history of Eureka. I mean, those men and women that were in the Eureka stockade, they didn't ask you about the colour of your skin. They didn't ask you what your religion was. They didn't ask you where you came from. What they asked you is, are you against the British colonial authorities? Are you willing to stand with us? And the Eureka Oath is an extraordinary oath when you think about it, an extraordinary oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. We, not Irish, Anglo-Saxons, we, we the people. And when you look at the people who were tried for high treason and acquitted in the Melbourne Courts Supreme Court in 1855, you'd be amazed. Two of them were black men. One was a, a black man from New York. Another one was from Kingston, Jamaica. There were Jews in the rebellion. Edward Fonan, the lemonade salesman who got cut down a hail of bullets as one of the pikemen, Jewish lemonade seller from Prussia. And the list goes on and on. There were people from every corner of the world. And when John Joseph, who was the first one tried for high treason, a black man from New York, who was involved in the thick of the battles, who said it's shot, who shot actually killed Captain Wise, the uh, leader of the uh, soldiers, was found not guilty of high treason in 1854 on the 22nd of February. He was chaired through the streets of Melbourne chairs through the streets of Melbourne. Nobody asked him about his skin colour. And that's what Eureka is. It's a universal symbol. Not just an Australian symbol. It's a universal symbol. The Aboriginal people, the local Aboriginal people were involved in the Eureka Rebellion. As a, you know, as the, the dead and the dying were being collected... The screams and the groans were occurring. They picked up the children, took them away. It's almost eerie, isn't it? They took the children away. I mean, that song was actually formulated in Ballarat and I heard it first in Ballarat in a living room. But they took the children away and cared for them for a day or two until things had settled down and people could reclaim their children on the battleground. And the list goes on and on. This is a universal, inclusive flag. And it's not about a flag. It's about honouring those men who continue to lie in a mass grave in the old Ballarat Cemetery. And on the 5th of June, a few of us will be going down to the old Ballarat Cemetery, and I'll give you an exact time later on just to pay our respects. Because it is a very full-on forlorn grave we go there and do a bit of tidying up put up a eureka flag and the list goes on and on so put it in your diary 
Saturday the 4th of June, 2pm to 4pm. It's time the Eureka flag was flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. And why June? Well, there are council elections in October in Victoria. And wouldn't it be nice if people were standing for election and for Ballarat City Council would say, if I'm elected, I will vote for the flag to be flown on the main flagpole on Eureka Day and possibly on a few other days. So this is it. I mean, we organise these things to inspire hope. That's what it's about. It's about inspiring hope. It's about setting a light, the pilot light that has gone off. And we all know what happens in a house when the pilot light on the gas goes off. The hot water goes. The gas on the stove goes. And it's pretty unpleasant living. It's the same with human beings. If they haven't got that passion or that hope that change will occur, nothing ever changes. As I said before, the aphrodisiac of the ruling class, the aphrodisiac of the 1%, that small section that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, they drink it by the bucket load. It's people's desperation and hopelessness. That's what they need in order to maintain their hold on power. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Fisco. I'm hosting today's program. That's right, hosting today's program. Now let's go back to the election campaign. Now a lot of people think, well, Joe's turned. Here he is involved in the election campaign. And I am involved in the election campaign. I make no bones about it. I've been involved in election campaigns for a long time. Because... Unfortunately, in this country, elections are one of the few times when people actually turn their mind, turn their minds to political change, to change. And the, unfortunately, for public interest before corporate interest, who I'm the Secretary and National Convener of, although we've got over 720 members, unfortunately, with the early election, the early double dissolution election, we didn't have enough time to be able to register as a political party. So we'll be applying for registration in September, October and hopefully be registered as a political party by early next year. And as a, that's a federal political party and a state political party later on next year, which means we can actually take part in federal election, the next federal election, the state election, under the public interest before corporate interests um, political party logo. So we were faced with the problem of deciding whether we were going to ignore the election or whether we were going to do something about it. And uh, the decision was made that I would stand in Dunkley. Uh, uh, the campaign's been endorsed by public interest before corporate interests, but it is not a public interest before corporate interest campaign. It's the Toscana for Dunkley campaign. Now, this is a very interesting campaign because it raises a lot of issues which are not being raised by any of the other political parties, both major and minor. And the slogan is very simple. Make the 1% pay 1%. Because, unfortunately, if you think of Australia as a household, we've got bludgers in this country real bludgers, really nasty bludgers in the good ship Australia on the Australian household. Now, as you know, the guest who stayed there a bit too long, 
becomes a burden on the rest of the rest of the household, and it actually has an effect on the rest of the household. If people don't pull their weight, if they you know they don't do their washing, they just raid the fridge, they refuse to pay the rent. It has a very negative effect on the rest of the household, both psychologically and physically. And that's what Australia is. We've got bludgers in this country. And they're not who you think they are. They're not the bludgers which the Herald Sun and the other Murdoch pieces of garbage like to talk about, you know, the Social Security beneficiaries. No, no. The real bludgers in this country is the corporate sector. And nothing in the major parties' political program does, says anything about these corporate bludgers, especially the Liberal National Party a program which is actually offering the bludgers a, a tax cut, which is always good to see from the Liberal National Party. So the idea was let's focus the campaign on getting the bludgers to pay their fair share. We're not asking for a leg and an arm or want them, you know, executed. Saudi Arabian or Islamic states style. We just want 1%. 1%. And if we introduce four pieces of legislation, you don't need blood in the streets. You don't need revolution. You don't even need mass protest. Four pieces of legislation in federal parliament to make the corporate bludgers you know, pay their way. And if they don't pay their way, we're quite happy to give them a Mikey ticket or a rowboat to leave the good ship Australia and go somewhere else. But if they want to stay here, they may as well pay their way like everybody else. And there are four simple pieces of legislation. One is a 1% stock market turnover tax. Simple. If you want to get rid of... If you don't want to affect mum and dad investors, you can, say, have a... $5,000 limit on a daily basis. You can, you know, you can tw- twig it around. But a 1% stock market turnover tax. You buy a share, you sell a share in the Australian Stock Exchange, 1% tax. Goes to the public purse. About $30 billion per year could be raised by the introduction of that one simple tax. How about, how about, and this is a bit, bit radical, a 1% turnover tax for companies with a yearly turnover of more than $2 million. You turn over more than $2 million, you exclude most small businesses, 90% of small businesses, you pay a 1% turnover tax. You can raise another 30 to $40 billion for public revenue. And how about a 1% financial services tax for every transaction above $50,000, excluding the family home? $40 billion per year raised. You wouldn't even feel it, would you? 1% financial services tax. And how about, you know, we, we're all told every day, aren't we, that we all pay GST. Whether you're on the pension or you're a company director, you know, on a $10 million bonus, we all pay GST. Well, I'm sorry. Businesses and corporations claim their GST as a tax legal, legitimate tax deduction. That's right, a legal, legitimate tax deduction. So now why don't we remove GST tax deductions from companies that have a yearly turnover greater than $5 million? So the Chevrons, who pay $246 tax per year, 
or the IKEAs that pay 3% tax per year, or the Rupert Murdochs of the world that uh, get an $886 million tax refund at the end of 2013 while making tens of millions of dollars of profits, while News Corporation, which pays less than 0.5% tax, or Foxtel, which pays less than 0.75% tax, or Google and Apple, which uh, have in the past paid less tax than somebody earning $80,000 per year while turning over billions of dollars, if you remove their GST tax deductions, you could raise another $50 billion. So they four simple pieces of legislation. That's all it is. If parliamentarians had the spine to pass those four billion pieces, those four simple pieces of legislation, you could raise almost $150 billion, over $150 billion, which would increase the budget bottom line by 35%. See, I'm using big terms like they do, the budget bottom line, 35%. Hey, it could provide capital to reintroduce a publicly owned bank, a people's bank, to actually act as a break on the predatory behaviour of the current financial services industry and big banks. Could be used to actually create real jobs, not in the private sector, but the public sector, or have be some of that money could be used as seeding funding for uh, the creation of a new economic system in this country, not just public and private, but one based on cooperatives and collectives. Hmm? Simple idea. Simple idea. Well, you know, you don't get rich by being part of a cooperative or collective, but at least you are working and you're making an income and you're actually meeting your financial commitments in the majority of cases. A whole new stream of economic activity based on cooperatives and collectives. And how about putting a little bit of that money into the public health system to try to, you know, help um, resolve the issues we currently have with the public health system and maybe resurrect Medicare as it lies on its deathbed waiting to be resuscitated. And maybe that extra funds could actually be used to provide that extra funding for the education sector, at least the public education sector, and all those big-ticket items of public infrastructure, an extra $150 billion per year, you could actually build as many railway lines as you like. And the list goes on and on. So this is nothing new. This is a political campaign which will go beyond this election, which is about making the corporate bludgers pay their fair share of tax because today the corporate bludgers legally don't pay tax in this country and everybody is beginning to understand that if everybody in a household who can does not pull their weight everybody else suffers so if you are interested in the Toscano for Dunkley campaign or if you're interested in actually doing a campaign in your part of Australia, there's over 120 federal electorates. I don't think it's about 125 across the country. Happy to give you some advice on how to get involved. But if you're interested in the Toscano for Dunkley campaign, go to the website. Go to the Facebook page, Toscano for Dunkley. Bingo. Want to meet the candidate? Yours truly? Well... On Thursday, 
the 12th of May between five, at 5pm. I'll be outside the Seaford Shopping Centre in Melbourne at the corner of Station and Nepean Highway. Station Street and Nepean Highway. It's Seaford, Melways 9903. Easy. Or can't make it? Well, on Sunday the 15th of May, 12.30pm to 2pm, I'll be outside the Bayside Shopping Centre at the corner of Beach and Evelyn Street in Frankston. You know, you can't... Uh, all this stuff's on the website if you do use the web. If you don't use the web but you don't know where we're going to be, you can always give us a call, 0439 395 489. And on Tuesday the 17th of May, big day, meet me outside the Australian Electoral Commission office, the Dunkley Electoral Commission office at 20 Davies Street at 11am. And between 1pm and 2pm, I'll be at the Frankston Shopping Centre at the corner of Young and World Street near the Frankston Station. And that evening, the Toscano for Dunkley and the Pipsy members for Hastings and Frankston will be meeting at the, at 6pm. That's on Tuesday the 17th of May at 6pm at the Mahogany Street Community Centre. That's the 26th. Mahogany Street in the Pines, which is in North Frankston. But see, you can do the same thing, especially once public interest before corporate interest becomes registered as a political party. It'll be much easier then. We can do bulk nominations. We can have a, we can have an effect around the country. So if you are interested in the concept of a political party or a political movement being based on the concept of putting the public interest before corporate interests, look at the website, PIBSI. P-I-B-C-I dot net. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests. Give us a ring on 0439 395 489. And don't despair if you hate the internet. Over 40% of our current membership of over 700 do not use the net. That's right, over 40%. People forget how many people don't use the net. You can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. So there'll be lots of things happening over the next eight weeks. If you are interested, join us. If you're not, fair enough. doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, as I said before, the role of a radical broadcaster is to ignite the pilot light in your soul. It's about hope. It's about hope, which is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation that through effort that change will occur to benefit each and every one of us in this country. I'll give you a few stories. Now, a lot of people think we live in a free society and we uh, carry on about uh, what's happening in these authoritarian regimes across the world. Do you know that the Fairfax reporters who went on strike a wildcat strike a few weeks ago because of the uh, massive cuts to the uh, number of reporters on Fairfax are now being investigated by the Fair Work Commission, which under current legislation has the power to find them $10,000 for each day they were on strike. So in this country, it is illegal for workers to withdraw their labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period without the permission of the Fair Work Commission. And they're designed in such a way as not to create martyrs. People say, well, why do they go on strike and they'll put them in jail? No, they don't want to put you in jail. They want to bankrupt you. 
They want you and your family to be out on the streets and that's the hammer they hold over your head in this country. And while everybody talks about all the corruption in the trade union movement, where's this push? Where's this push for all commission to corruption in the corporate sector in this country? It's not there. And as I said before, Malcolm wrote to me and I'm sure he wrote to everybody else who's on the electoral roll and he's told you it's all about growth and jobs. No, it's all about corporate welfare. It's all about keeping the corporate bludgers in the lifestyle they're accustomed to. One sixty-seven cents in every dollar which is raised in revenue goes directly to the corporate bludgers, whether it's those that manage the welfare system, whether it's those that are now going to manage the privatised work for the dull system or the privatised education system. The list goes on and on. It's corporate bludgers. So if you don't want corporate bludgers, listen to the Anarchist World this week, next week. But more importantly, join us in our odyssey in the Toscana for Dunkley campaign. You can't go wrong. You'll meet lots of interesting people. You may be able to form organisations and groups in your part of the world later on. And uh, don't forget to join Pipsy today, public interest before corporate interest. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Without the Community Radio Network, this little program, which stems from FreeCR in Melbourne, would never be able to reach an audience across the country. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I only had 28 letters last week. More letters than emails, believe it or not. Maybe because I don't answer a lot of emails, but I do answer emails. I'm just kidding. Or you can uh, ring us, leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Don't forget. Uh, to join public interest before corporate interest. Don't forget Marbo Day on the 3rd of June. Don't forget the public forum in Ballarat uh, uh, regarding the Eureka flag on the Saturday the 4th of June. And don't forget, join me if you're an elector in Dunkley outside the Australian Electoral Commission office, 11am Tuesday the 17th, sign the nomination form. Let's get this, let's get this going. Now, Malcolm... I'm going to send your letter back. I'm going to put return to send. I'm going to say, please compost. So anybody else out there has received a letter from Malcolm or maybe from Bill, have a look at it. If you're not happy, put it back in the envelope, reseal it, put return to sender and say, I don't deal with garbage. Okay? I don't eat garbage. Off you go. Thank you once again. This is the Anarchist World this week broadcast on your local Community Radio Station by the Community Radio Network. The program is podcast. 3cr.org.au That's 3cr.org.au Send it to your friends. Send it to your enemies. Don't despair. Change is there. Hope is the love child of desire and expectation. Light that pilot light in your heart. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.